0: Welcome to Beyond the Block with Brother Jones and Brother Knox centering the marginalized in Mormonism. Derek, how you doing today, sir? Hey, it's so good to see you, James. Likewise. It had I mean, it's only been a week, but even still, it already it always feels like it's been a little bit longer than it's been, especially with this past week. I know some people have been struggling a little bit and the days were just longer, the longer we've had to wait on this election, so it's been a whole mess. It's been an interesting week, to mm. say the least. I don't really got nothing to report. Should we just dive right into yeah, it? Yeah, let's dive into it. We are a proud member of the Dialogue Podcast Network, a collective of independent, interesting podcasts who promote thoughtful, respectful, and engaging inquiry and discussion of all aspects of the LDS tradition, thought, arts, and culture. Find out more at dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network. That is dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network. So this week, we are in the book of Ether, chapters 1 through 5. Derek, is there any context you want to give to these verses prior to us diving in? Sure. So
1: one thing you notice, especially if you divide up this section, the whole book of Ether, into some literary sections and see who the uh, author is and what's going on, you realize that there is some literary stratification. You've got the first layer, which is the original Jaredite records that got translated And then you've got Moroni's commentary. And it's very easy to to separate those two. And once you do that, you recognize some very interesting things. And this is based on the work of Grant Hardy. The original record is really not a Christian text. There's no Christ-centeredness to it at all. A lot of the explicitly Christian material comes afterward with Moroni, with one exception, and that is the vision of the brother of Jared, where he sees the premortal Christ. But other than that, there's no specific Christian doctrine anywhere in that part of the text. So I think that really helps bring out what Moroni was trying to do with the text and you can get a handle on what he was learning from the text and what he brought from his own context into his reading of the story, especially the story of the brother of Jared. Mm. Even that piece where the brother of Jared saw Christ, that was hidden up. It was like he got a secret foretaste of something But that didn't make it into the records. Obviously, he was told not to say it. And then it finally came out with Moroni. And that, I think, maybe prompted Moroni to add all of this explicit Christian material to the record.
0: That is interesting. As I hear you say that, the the implication that I immediately caught, which may not be relevant right now to discuss, is that not even Ether saw that piece of the record, only Moroni is the person who saw that piece of the record that has anything to do with Christ, which the yeah, chart, yeah. which would make sense, because in the record, we do see you know, the brother of Jared being told that these things should not be known until after he is crucified. So that all makes sense. Was there anything else you wanted to uh, put on this? No, that's it. All right, sweet. Well, let's get right into the discussion of either chapter chapters 1 through 5. I noticed a couple of things that I want to highlight. Uh, The first thing I wanted to highlight was uh, the relationship between Jared and his brother. And I think one of the more easy and obvious questions to ask is why did Jared ask his brother to cry unto the Lord rather than do it himself? Why don't we have the brother of Jared's name? Why is the brother of Jared doing all the work only for us to not really know his name and just to have Jared kind of be centered in this narrative? But I wanted to focus on the relationship first. And as I looked into it, I saw a relationship that was similar to that of Aaron and Moses or that of Steve Ballmer and Bill Gates. Somebody is like either the spokesman or the president, and the other person serves as the CEO slash the brains behind the whole gang. I kind of saw that being kind of the relationship between the brother of Jared and Jared himself. They're a team that seems to be capitalizing on their strengths. So when I first noticed this was in chapter 1, verse 34. It seems apparent that Jared is aware of his brother's strengths as it states that he was a man highly favored of the Lord, quote, and he appealed to that strength. Jared himself, his strength seemed to be that he was the one that was the first to identify problems and to seek potential solutions to those problems, though it needs to be also noted that all of us should probably cultivate our own relationships our own connections to uh to deity to god we should all seek our own personal revelation rather than relying on a human intermediary and after like the third time that the brother of jared asked or sorry that jared asked the brother of jared to do something or to ask the lord for something i was just like okay you leaning a little too heavy on the brother of jared mm-hmm. right now you you using a human intermediary and we've talked about on the show about how often, how important it is for us to have our own relationships with deity, not just for, not just because it's a commandment, but you know, for our own survival, relying on a human intermediary like the prophets or the brethren can end up dangerous for some of us on the margins, especially. I was just especially sensitive to how it seemed Jared was using his brother in that way. But then I got to verse 38 and I noticed something kind of interesting. Jared, actually already seemed to know the likely response to his most recent question. Verse 38, Jared says, quote, Who knoweth but the Lord will carry us forth into a land which is choice above all the earth? Close quote. So at this point in the story, we're at the time of the Tower of Babel, right? And the language has been, is about to be confounded. Now, first thing the brother of Jared asks is that, uh, that jared asks his brother to do is to cry unto the lord that he won't confound us and then in verse 36 he asks cry unto the lord that it may that it may be that he will turn away his anger from them who are our friends and not confound their language either and then by the time we get to verse 38 the next question that jared wants is ask the lord whether he will drive us out of the land and if he will drive us out of the land cry unto him whether we shall go and this is the interesting part. And who knoweth but the Lord will carry us forth into a land which is choice above all the earth. Close quote. What's interesting about this is that's exactly what the Lord ends up doing, which tells me that Jared already has some kind of knowledge of how the Lord works. He already knows this is how the Lord operates. He has a relationship with the Lord. He has some kind of connection. That's what that indicates to me. And uh, what this also communicates is there's this interesting tension Between leaning on the spiritual strength of others while also clearly demonstrating a commitment to to developing our own spiritual strength and our our own relationship with Christ. Jared had enough of a relationship with the Lord that he pretty much already knew what the likely response was going to be. And that tells us that even though Jared was able to see the strength and the greater qualification, quote unquote, of his brother to actually operate in that prophetic role, he still was faithful enough to know what the Lord's likely response was going to be personally if i had someone in my life like the brother of jared i'd probably lean on them too a lot you know i got you here and i know that i lean on you a lot for uh, for stuff and also as we continue reading in the scriptures and i know you'll want to talk about this jared it becomes pretty clear why jared depends on his brother so much the brother of jared is pretty fearless in his interactions with god the nature of his communication the language he uses and the requests that he actually makes all indicate that the brother of Jared is blessed with a rare kind of faith. And sure, his brother who is committed to following the Lord would want to take advantage of that kind of faith. If I know that somebody is bold enough to talk to the Lord like that and to get those kinds of answers and to get that kind of counsel, I might be tempted to lean on on it as well. Yeah, I think it ties back
1: into not only was the brother of Jared highly favored, but but Jared must have known that. There oh, must yeah, he be definitely some will. special connection there. And this highly favored reminds me a lot of the King James Version translation when uh, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and calls her highly favored. And I think there's just some special spirit about Mary that she was blessed to be the mother of the Messiah and i love the the faith of the I, brother
0: you're not even going to try to quote the Magnificat right now cuz no. it seems like you do it all the time i no, was like okay no. that's fine. i
1: mean there is there is something uh well she doesn't she does mention her own she says how god has looked upon the her own loneliness with favor and sort of lifted her out of this mm-hmm. status as someone poor marginalized in a very awkward situation with her husband and a pregnancy like that's real, and that's where the Lord shows up. Yep. Literally, that's where the Lord shows up. <laughs> and I'll talk about this later in terms of what it's like to be a queer person on the margins and that being where the Lord shows up. But I notice here that being highly favored lends a boldness to the brother of Jared because he cries unto the Lord three times. One. hmm not to have his words confounded, two, not to have their friends and family, their language confounded, and then three, that if they're driven out, they might go go to a choice land. And I love how it says, the Lord says to the brother of Jared in chapter one, verse 43, and thus I will do unto thee, because this long time ye have cried unto me. Yeah, what do you want? So he had faith, he had persistence, he had boldness. And it's because of his persistence that gave him an in with God.
0: Isn't that interesting? I really like that a lot. As soon as I read that particular section of verse 43, what was called to my mind was the incident of Jesus with the Syrophoenician woman, the parable of the unjust judge, Mm -hmm. and the uh, teaching of Joseph Smith to weary the Lord with your prayers. You know what I'm saying? There are all these nifty little callbacks to how much the lord wants us to be persistent in our prayers and be persistent in crying unto him and in all those situations particularly the Syrophoenician woman and the parable of the unjust judge they were seeking justice
1: yeah and that reminds me of something in president nelson's talk about what was the title something about prevailing with god or god will pre- let god pre- let god prevail right uh uh-huh,
0: let god prevail
1: And if you look at his wording very carefully, he says that his take on the word Israel is actually an alternative. So there's an ambiguity in the Hebrew. You've got the verb Sarah, meaning to prevail or to fight or contend. And then you've got El, meaning God. It's a short version of Elohim, essentially. So what you've got here is a noun and a verb, and you have to make a decision whether it's the subject Or the object of the verb so it's ambiguous israel could either mean someone prevailing over god or wrestling with god or the reverse god prevails and if you look at the context of genesis 32 and also the reference to it in hosea chapter 12 it's pretty clear that the biblical authors take it one way and that's the way that jacob is prevailing with or struggling with god that is backwards from where, the, from where President Nelson took it. But even if you take it the way President Nelson did, having God prevail in the ancient Near Eastern context would have been about God prevailing the, over the other nations and keeping Israel safe. Not so much God prevailing over Israel or God prevailing over the gods of the other nations. But this gets back to my, to my main point about the faith of Jacob, the faith of the Phoenician woman, which is interesting because we don't have her name either, mm-hmm. and we don't have the name of the brother of Jared. And I think I want to name that because there are a lot of women in the text that we also don't get their names either. Right. And what do we do with that? I wish we had more of the details of women in the text. We do have a lot of a lot more details of the brother of Jared than we do for any of the women in the text, but we don't have his name. And I think we could say well maybe just by itself not having someone's name does not at all indicate the importance of that person okay and we can use that to lift up other nameless people in scriptures i really think that out of all the prophets in the book of mormon the brother of jared is the greatest i don't know if you can compare them or not but today he feels like the greatest and that gets back to and have we we've talked about this before about the brother of jared as a queer hero. I'm pretty sure we have. And yeah. And to me, there's this boldness. And it's not just the boldness of reaching out to God about the languages being confounded. It's also very, very interesting. There's boldness where the brother of Jared is able to just return God's plans to him and say, this is not going to work. And this is very clear in chapter two we start seeing some of this conflict. So All right. it, we're in chapter two, verses starting with verse well, starting in verse sixteen, it says these barges were built according to the instructions of the Lord. In verse eighteen, this is reinforced. The brother of Jared says, I have made the barges according as thou hast directed me. So you've already got the brother of Jared faithfully following God's plan, and you would think, oh, he's just going to roll over and go with the plan and not say anything about it, and if he does, it's rebellion. But it's not. If you look at verse 19, the brother of Jared speaks back to God with this very important word, behold. He says, and behold, O Lord. What does this word behold mean? It says, hey, look at this. You need to see something there that maybe you haven't seen before. And behold, O Lord, in them, there is no light. Whither shall we steer? And also we shall perish for in them, we cannot breathe. Wow. I think that's boldness being able to say, Hey, you know what, God, the plan you gave us does not work for my people. We need more illumination and more light. And I'm going to send this plan back to you until it gets fixed that's why he's a queer hero because the plan that we're presented does not work for us Hmm. and we're saying god we're not going to let you go until you bless us and that reminds me a lot of the november 5th 2015 policy from that was five years ago we had the fifth year anniversary just this past week and after that a lot of people cried out to the lord with the faith of the brother of jared saying this is not going to work you need to take it back and guess what it happened And I remember people asked me about a year into this, four years ago, they asked me, Derek, what do we do? Especially LGBT people ask, what do we do with this? How can we survive this? How do we navigate this? What can we do to boost our morale? And here's what I told them. I said, what you need to do is memorize a particular verse of scripture and hold that in your heart that you want to say and pronounce when you hear the news that the policy has been rescinded, because it's gonna happen. And by holding this in your heart, you are already living into the future because you know it's gonna happen, you have a plan, you have this ritual that you've designed so that you know exactly what you're gonna do when the policy goes away. And it reinforces to your own soul that you you, you know it's going away. And so my verse was from Exodus chapter 15, verse 21. Sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. And I planned, I said to myself four years ago, I said, the moment I I find out that this policy is gone, I'm going to say that verse 100 times in a row. That's exactly what I did on April 4th, 2019. I looked at my phone, I saw the news, and I said to myself, now it's time. And I recited that verse 100 times in a row. It took me about 10 minutes. And guess what? When the policy changes so that there is full marriage equality in the church, I already have my verse picked out and I'm going to say it a thousand times. <laughs> Seriously. Of course you are. I'm going to say it a thousand times. And the verse that I'm going to say is Evan Ma'asu Habonim Hayatal Rosh The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And that's from Psalm 118, verse 22. Because this will be overruled. It will be overturned. And I'm savoring that moment, right? I'm not feeling awful until it happens, because I know it's going to happen. But it's the same thing with this policy. I wanted people to savor and anticipate that moment by having a plan for it. Well anyway, let's back, get back to talking about the brother. Hey, wait, no, do you have any thoughts about the November 5th policy? What's so funny?
0: It's just the way it's just the way that you transition bro. like that's all.
1: Well, I have 10 different things in my head.
0: I know you got like 10 different things in your head. And you actually checked with me to be like, seriously, I'm going to say it a thousand times as if I would be surprised by that oh. or as if I actually then don't people believe might, People Derek might think talk. it's
1: an exaggeration.
0: I don't think anybody who listens to this show believes that you're exaggerating at this no, point it, about that kind of thing. Yes. I, I
1: mean, I will mark that out. <laughs> it will take me over an hour. Mm-hmm. I have my verse already memorized in English and in Hebrew. I'm ready to go. It could mm-hmm. happen tomorrow. Are you ready? Hell yeah, I'm ready. Good, because... Like, why are you
0: asking me? Like, <laughs> like I wouldn't be ready. Like, of course a I'm lot ready. of people
1: would be surprised. Like, look at what Oaks did. Like, we were... I was surprised, but I wasn't ready for that.
0: <laughs> I was ready, but I was still surprised. I was like, I've been waiting on what Oaks did, like, pretty much since we first started saying Black Lives Matter, and especially since George Floyd. But yeah, no less a miracle. So that's why the brother of Jared is a queer hero. And look what God
1: says. God didn't say, oh, you're apostate for for, for questioning my authority or whatever. He mm-hmm. God says a couple of things. He says, so, the, so here are the two major problems. One is that there's no light. No light. And then there's no air. And so God fixes the no air thing first. And, and God's the one who says, oh, you know what? I gave you this barge design with no hole in the top or the bottom. So you need to put a hole in the top and the bottom and put these little stoppers and that's how you're going to get air. And so God changed his plan upon the demand
0: mm-hmm.
1: of one of a human.
0: Yeah. And that's just one example of, or or just one thing that he does in corresponding with Jared. And in another moment, when uh, Jared asked the Lord about the matter of light for the vessels, he actually kind of shoots that question back. He's like, well, what do you want me to do? you know exactly and that's a different kind of collaboration there at that point he's just like okay i gave you a mind to think you know you see this problem i want you to tell me what you think i should do and then come to me with that and then we'll talk from there you know he's basically saying do you got any good ideas jared like <laughs> exactly brother jared what you got so god is
1: absolutely willing to cooperate with us and mm-hmm. have us co-create the plan of salvation
0: in a way co-create the plan of salvation that is a whole bar i want that on a shirt
1: People say, well, that's arrogant. How can you even dare to co-create? Well, that's actually what God Tell commanded em. us yes. to do. God what, has yes. commanded us to hold him accountable
0: to his promises. Let's he also look at, created us for that purpose, like as the offspring of God. What is stepping into that role if not getting to be a co-creator with God in some way? Let's look at verse 22. We're still in chapter 2. This is verse 22. Chapter 2, verse 22. And okay. the
1: brother of Jared says the magic word, behold, three times says, O Lord, behold, I have done even as thou hast commanded me, and I have prepared the vessels for my people, and behold, there is no light in them. Behold, O Lord, wilt thou suffer that we shall cross this great water in darkness? He says, behold, three times. God, look at this. This does not look pretty. This does not make sense. Mm -hmm. Like, my people look at the way the plan of salvation is presented to us and say, this does not make sense. And that's not an act of rebellion or apostasy. It's an act of faith because it's saying, I know the Lord well enough to know that God's got something better here. Mm -hmm. And God is willing to let us co-create our place in the plan of salvation. And God's looking for our ideas. Like, let's look at the next part that you've already pointed out. God says twice in verse 23, opens, the Lord opens this statement by saying, What will ye that I should do that ye may have light in your vessels? And then closes in verse 25, closes his statement, Therefore, what will ye that I should prepare for you that ye may have light when ye are swallowed up in the depths of the sea? And let's look at chapter three because he, notice this. This is actually quite bold. The brother of Jared doesn't say, Hey, I've got this idea. Let me run it by you. Hmm. He builds the stones first before even getting permission from God that that's what the plan is going to be. He takes
0: initiative. And he exercises a lot of effort. I think it has to be named that one of the reasons I feel like they mentioned the name of the mountain is because of, you know, it, it's exceeding height. You're like, mm-hmm. Jared, went, mm-hmm. Brother Jared went up a whole mountain, molted 16 stones. Basically, we just see all this effort that the Brother Jared went through prior to coming back to the Lord and continuing to collaborate with him.
1: Yeah, and in verse 2 of chapter 3, you also get that word behold again, Mm -hmm. spoken to the Lord. You know, I'm going to start saying behold in my prayers more, speaking to God and say behold, Mm -hmm. you know. So let's go back and talk about um, why he was so bold. And this boldness came from the God who then had to hear the boldness. Let's look at this. Verse uh, verse 2, nevertheless, O Lord, thou hast given us a commandment That we must call upon thee. That's his whole platform. That is his whole foundation for speaking to the Lord so boldly is saying, look, you told me to do this. Mm -hmm. You gave me the faith that trusts you to do the right thing. And here's the right thing. And you're going to do it for me. Mm -hmm. This is exactly what you said with with Jacob. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Saying that to the angel of the Lord. Yes, sir. And then it's the brother of Jared's completely his idea because fire wouldn't work because that's enclosed um they can't have windows so here's this non-fire source of light and he's really thinking outside the box because as far as i know in the ancient world you don't have any sources of light other than fire Mm -hmm. his faith was rooted in the commandment to call upon god and hold god accountable that's not rebellion as i've said many times and the reason why i'm repeating myself is a lot of people think us lgbt's are rebellious we're not we're actually closer and in tune with god than than a lot of other people are because we have to rely on god's promises just to get through the day and here's the third piece of boldness so the first piece of boldness was saying hey don't mess up our languages Two, the second piece of boldness was fix these barges, they don't have light or air. And the third piece of boldness was seeing Christ. And I think that's amazing. Let's look at verse 13 of chapter 3. Because thou knowest these things, ye are redeemed from the fall, therefore ye are brought back into my presence. It's because of his knowledge. Let's look at verse 19 and because of the knowledge of this man he could not be kept from beholding within the veil Hmm. and he saw the finger of jesus which when he saw he fell with fear for he knew it was the finger of the lord it was his faith and his knowledge that served as the foundation for all of his boldness his attitude and then receiving the things that he say uh, the things that he requested and the verse 26 Therefore, the Lord could not withhold anything from him, for he knew that the Lord could show him all things. And I just want to jump to Ether chapter 12, and there's one verse I want to... Because this is like... Let's talk about these editorial intrusions by Moroni. Here, Moroni applies and processes these things and gives you the lessons that he learns. And behold, we have seen in this record that one of these that is, the faithful people, that one of these was the brother of Jared, for so great was his faith in God that when God put forth his finger, he could not hide it from the sight of the brother of Jared because of his word. And by that, I'm, t- I'm taking it to mean God's word, not the brother of Jared's word. Because of his word, which he had spoken unto him, which word he had obtained by faith. So the whole platform of this was God's word. And that's why the brother of Jared had this boldness. You know, Why is it culturally that a lot of Latter-day Saints don't think you could go before the Lord with boldness and say, hey, you know what? We need to change.
0: I think we just got comfortable, Derek, if I'm being honest. I, I think we don't think we can have this relationship with God because when we really look at it in our heart of hearts, we don't want it. Because what would that require of us? How much effort did the brother of Jared and them have to exercise for them to have the kind of relationship with God that they did? What kind of circumstances were they placed in to the point where they had to exercise such incredible faith? The brother of Jared and his family and friends, they were such a vulnerable people Mm -hmm. in an unfamiliar path. It said in one of these verses in chapter one about how the path they were taking was an unknown one, an unfamiliar one. The times that we are usually shown the greatest miracles are in times of some of our greatest extremes, and I don't think the people who are most comfortable in our world today are subjected to those to the point where they would be able to act with this kind of boldness or even think that it's necessary. For example, when you said that God afflicts the comfortable and comforts the afflicted, I know that uh, the comfortable need to be afflicted, not necessarily with bad things by God, but simply need to be challenged. They Mm -hmm. simply need to be given opportunities to grow. They need to be put in situations and circumstances that allow them to realize the divinity in themselves, to exercise their own wills, to exercise their minds, and to come to the Lord in a situation that allows them to become more like Christ, to be humbled, to be blessed with more patience, with more charity, with more diligence, and that can't happen If people are not willing to be bold with the Lord and people are not going to be bold with the Lord unless they feel like they can be. And that's not going to happen unless they're in the extremes. Unfortunately for people like the brother of Jared and their families, they were kind of compelled to be put in that situation because of their vulnerability. But the comfortable do not have that luxury, for lack of a better word. They have to kind of bring themselves into that. And that's why I feel like people in the LGBTQ community, women, people of color, are so resilient is because they've been brought to those extremes so many Mm -hmm. times. People of privilege are simply not. And therefore, they feel like that boldness is uncalled for simply because they're comfortable.
1: Yeah, and I'm wondering if something in the brother of Jared's background led him to a deepened insight. Like maybe he was marginalized in his community some way. Here's what happens with queer people. We are defined and named by a relationship to someone else. Uh-huh. We're the, the fun gay uncle, or we're the, <laughs> we're the gay child, or we're the, you know, my gay brother. We're always, because we're not seen as having a families of our own, we're always defined by a relationship to someone else. And this is exactly what we do with the brother of Jared. He is always talked about, not on his own terms, but based on how his relationship to someone else is defined. Mm. And isn't that curious? Quite. He's always the brother of Jared. And that's how maybe he was marginalized in the community in some way. And that allowed him some additional insight. And this gets back to me to a fundamental piece of my activism. And this, uh, it's gonna be hard to explain because I'm not at all condemning other people's activism in the church. But there's a lot of LGBT individuals in the church that focus on issues around acceptance and inclusion and saying we are demanding these certain things and we're waiting for you to give them to us and and i'm a little bit different maybe it's because i'm a convert and i'm already coming in fully pro-lgbt fully secure in myself not even needing the blessing of anyone to feel good about myself um And that changes the way I do my activism. And a lot of people misunderstand the goal of my activism. My activism is not begging for access to the institutional structure. Yes, in time, there will be equal access for my people. But the fullness of God isn't in those meetings. God is right here among the marginalized. Look at where and how Jesus ministered here on earth jesus had no institutional standing he dwelt among the people most forgotten by society so on one level we who are lgbt we don't need to be admitted into their structures they need to come and discover god among us that that's my activism that is why the goal of my activism is to share my gift of god's presence among my people with those who thought they already
0: had God. Hmm.
1: You know, I've had many, 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 I'm sounding like Trump if I say I had many, many people tell me this. Millions and millions. But I've had numerous straight people look at me and say, Derek, I want what you have. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that the last being first? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's amazing that there's some people that are envious of the foundations that i have the knowledge that i have this the spirit that i have the connection with god that i have they're, they look at me and they're like a lot of people think that lgbt people are all unhappy or suffering in the church i'm actually a lot better off than a lot of these straight people i have to say mm-hmm. so what do you think of all this like sort of the framing of activism is it to you know, bang on the door and try to get in somewhere to realize we've got something here that they don't have. And the reason why we're doing all this work isn't to get in, but so that so that they can graciously receive our, the gift that we have.
0: I do think that it's mostly the latter, but I can't help but feel like elements of the former are still necessary.
1: They are. They are. You know. And I think it's part of the framing of it is Do you make yourself vulnerable and dependent on those things for your own internal sense of connection Mm -hmm. with God? If you outsource that to whatever policy they have, then they've got you, right? right? You're not going to be happy. And so, yes, obviously these things need to be changed and they will be changed, but I don't have the attitude of begging for crumbs. Absolutely. That's kind of my point.
0: I think it also needs to be named that a lot of people who are envious of you, a lot of them don't know the cost that you counted and paid to get to where you are today. And a lot of what you did right. to get to where you are today was a matter of survival, spiritual survival. Like you, Exactly. Like you I, I did not
1: have the luxury of being able to coast through life not knowing the scriptures because Correct. people use them against me.
0: Correct. I, I was had actually, to. Yeah, you had to. I was talking to somebody about this just yesterday about how too many times we talk about members of marginalized communities and we praise them for their resilience without really knowing the cost of that resilience and further robbing ourselves of opportunities to really find God in those experiences and what produced that resilience and that spiritual intelligence and maturity. I wanted, like uh, the person I was talking to yesterday, just outright asked, what do you want to see the church change or what does the church need to do in order to be "quote unquote" better, generally speaking, you know, the first thing I did was quote Iana Presley and saying put more people of uh, put more people of marginalized communities in positions of power, because those who are closest to the pain need to be closest to the power to produce the solutions to that pain. And in those experiences, and in the creativity and the talent that those people bring to the table, we are going to find God in new and profound ways. That, frankly, we should have found him a long time ago. This is going to sound bad, but I don't like going to other churches and feeling things that I know I should be feeling at our church. I want to be able to celebrate and worship in ways that make me feel seen, that make me feel heard, and that make me feel valued in the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. And if I can experience that more in other traditions, that's telling me a couple of things. One, we have not done our due diligence in making sure that people of all cultures, of all backgrounds are feeling welcome here. And secondly, there is clearly work that we have to do in order to find God that we are not able to do because people that look like me or people that love like you do not feel welcome here. I don't like going to church, looking around me and realizing that I should see more black people in these spaces, just based on how frequently black people seek religion and based on how spiritually resilient our people are. It would stand to reason that within the restored gospel of Jesus Christ, there should be more of us here. And similarly, I don't like that members of the LGBTQ community who are Christian similarly do not find a home among us. Like that's, that's not right. It doesn't make any sense. And I don't think that's going to change until we start. And like an easy thing that we can do to fix that is start putting folks on the margins in more positions of power. Sorry, I forgot what the original yeah. question was, but I like. I think
1: it revolved around why we. I think it started by saying, well, why culturally do Mormons don't think they can ask God for stuff? Like they oh, yeah. can ask God to find the keys of your car, but they can't ask God. To say, hey, we've got to revisit what we're teaching about people of color or women or LGBTQ. That speaks to how comfortable or poverty or disability. Like you care about more about your keys; those can be replaced, right? <laughs> like the lives of my people cannot be replaced.
0: And that speaks to just how important it is or how comfortable a lot of these people are. They are so comfortable to the point that they can ignore the plight of people on the margins, but they can't ignore the plight of them not having their keys. That affects them more Mm -hmm, than the mm -hmm. lives of marginalized people. Those things that are so small affect their lives more than the plights of marginalized people who are so much bigger. That is why they're not conditioned to speak boldly or to be bold in seeking things is because... They just don't care about the bigger things.
1: Yeah, and and that's why we need to make things personally costly for those who are bigoted. Yeah, and I this whole election cycle, I saw people posting on "No matter who you voted for, you're welcome at my table." Shut
0: up, all y'all!
1: And I'm like, nope, that's no, no absolutely no. not, no, because
0: we off that. <laughs> Who's <laughs> Sorry, no, go but
1: ahead. I, if you're an if you're an LGBT ally, you need to make the homophobes in your family bear a cost for it. If Absolutely. that cost is nope, you're not invited to my Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Then that's that's one piece of power you have to do something in the name of the dignity of my people. You can say mm-hmm. no, like I'm not gonna have racists at my table this Thanksgiving. I'm not gonna have homophobes. I'm not gonna have sexists. I'm not gonna have Trumpists at mm-hmm. my table this Thanksgiving. Because unless...
0: If they're welcome at the table...
1: Then I'm not. And then you're not. And these other people aren't. There's no such thing as all are welcome. Because if you admit the predators in, the prey aren't safe. Correct. Right? If you invite the lamb and the wolf to the same dinner, the lamb's not going to show up. Right? So You can't say all are welcome. You have to choose. Are you going to decide with the people who need some assistance and protection, or are you going to side with the status quo and the oppressors? And that gets back to, oh, this someone on Facebook decided it would be a good idea to start a post saying, what do you think of the principle that God comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable? Okay, that's your little line, Derek. And I'm not. I'm not the first person to say this. This right. has been going around, around in progressive religious communities for for many decades.
0: If it's within our community, I'm certain that person posted it because <laughs> you said it.
1: Yes, I know that person is definitely listened to our podcast, okay. and, and and that's probably where she heard it. But all the mess came out on that post. Of course, it did. All the mess came. I thought that that was an uncontroversial, I literally thought that was an uncontroversial statement. Mm-hmm. One mm-hmm. person said, that's not scriptural. And I'm like, I can't even find a page of the Bible that doesn't have <laughs> Like if you go from Exodus where God afflicted the Egyptians, is I think what it is, is you've got these straight white mormons who are socialized to be polite and never say anything edgy they're socialized to have this balance of well god loves all people and god doesn't take sides and and Mm. this is basically the all lives matter Mm. theology edition Mm -hmm. and i'm like no like god afflicted the egyptians with boils he afflicted the canaanites with hemorrhoids like do you know that story
0: no. Okay. <laughs> he saw it in my face. I was like, "What? Like, um, Lord, what? Like." Conversation for another <laughs> day. I didn't mean to. Like, de- I don't want to derail it. But, but like,
1: I can't. I rather than like expecting me to find an example of it, I can't even find. I think of. I mean, there's a few exceptions here and there, but the general pattern. If you look at Jesus' ministry, he really disturbed. Those who had power and those who were comfortable with the status quo, people with political power, the religious leaders, hypocrites. He came for them. Yes. He called them names. Yes. People say name calling isn't Christ like. Well, yeah, it is. It Bro. is like and, and overturning the tables in the temple. That's what he did to the people who were comfortable. He said, "Nope, you got to wake up. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to disturb." your environment i'm going to get you to see this a different way mm-hmm. and then he, of course the rest of his ministry is comforting the afflicted and a lot of the people on this thread said i believe that god comforts the afflicted but i don't believe he afflicts the comfortable missing the point but you can't do one without the other you Bro. can't liber- you can't bring the israelites out of egypt without depriving the egyptians of their claim to israelite labor
0: okay you're still not quoting the Magnificat, so I'm gonna do it before <laughs> you do. Cause I love this so much. But like, Mary said it so perfectly. Like, she tied, she tied the ministry of Jesus Christ, tied the birth of Jesus Christ to both the abasing of the comfortable and the raising up of the afflicted. Look at listen to what she says. He hath showed strength with his arm he hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts he hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree preach where 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 do y'all not see this they don't know the scriptures i like don't know like and
1: this isn't just me having you know a lot of extra training the scriptures this is like on
0: every page of the the bible this is the four gospels this is isaiah this is tied in christ's
1: mission all the hebrew prophets they they were like sometimes they had to afflict the israelites because Mm -hmm. they weren't doing right and Mm -hmm. they were they were being proud and Mm -hmm. um and then sometimes they had to comfort and you know that's the book of revelation is all about god smiting almost the entire world and then liberating which now i have a sometimes i have a little bit of a problem with 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 how that gets employed, like I don't want to just say, "Well, God's gonna smite people," and I, I'm a little, even a little bit uncomfortable myself with God smiting the uh, firstborn of the Egyptians. Those were innocent little kids, mm-hmm. like. But that's the scriptural record, and we have to wrestle with it. See, I we don't have to bl- unconsciously and uncritically accept it all, but we it's in our tradition. We need to wrestle with it in some way or another. Right. And, uh, like. Yeah, it is very clear. But I think what it is is like they're like, well, I don't want, I don't like the idea if if my life's okay, God's gonna come and smite me. And that's not even what we mean by comfortable. We mean accepting and benefiting from the status quo in a way that hurts other people. And Mm -hmm. that got that's got to be challenged. That's Mm got to be disturbed.
0: Mm -hmm. Who's this care bear God these folks are worshiping right now? And
1: it's it's a white, it's a god of whiteness. Can I say that?
0: I mean, I got no problem with it, but like explain it for so our listeners. I think white, straight Latter
1: day Saints are socialized to not say anything edgy, to make everything polite and not ruffle anyone's feathers. And we just all got to go hold hands and we got to all be at Thanksgiving together and not have any contention. And I think that is making them so, they're making out God into this all lives matter God, that doesn't take sides. Theoretically, it's true that God doesn't love one person more than another. However, the other half of that is, when one nation is oppressing the other, in order to love all people, God has to take sides. Mm -hmm. If you're comfortable with being an oppressor, that's gotta be destabilized. But you get what I'm saying. I get what you're saying. Do you think this really is tied with whiteness the
0: way I'm seeing it? I haven't thought about it, I'll admit, and I'm going to need to think about it some more. But uh, just based on what you're saying, I just hear a lot of people who are not hearing the intent of, you know, the couplet, which is basically that there is a promise that the Lord has made to people to raise the afflicted and to make sure that the comfortable Mm -hmm. are placed in a position to where they are going to be what the Lord needs them to be as well. Like That is not a hard thing for me to glean from that statement. And I feel like people who are making a big stink about it are doing so willingly to the point where they don't have to confront that inner conflict of Mm -hmm. being an oppressor. So in that regard, I do think whiteness is tied to it very much because when you are conditioned to not be too edgy when you're conditioned to be comfortable and to not be in any real kind of conflict, the second that somebody implies that there's something wrong mm. with your comfort, mm-hmm. you are going to try to defend that to the death because that is that yeah. is your comfort as part of your identity. And I think it also gets back to how they construct the concept
1: of love because someone said, a loving God would never afflict people. I'm like, if someone is hurting your child you had better believe that parent is going to afflict someone, right? <laughs> it, it, I. That's not being mean. That is showing love for your child. You know, James Cone talks about this like tame, domesticated, deodorized God that, that's <laughs> like not wild at all and that's right. completely comfortable to to these sensibilities. And and so they don't see. They want to say, well, God is loving and would never afflict. But I think actually love loving God's children requires that you have to disturb the the people who are comfortable with the status quo. There's no way around it. If you're going to protect those kids that you love and comfort them, the other side of that is removing the oppression. And that's exactly why when people with privilege get their privilege dinged even just a little bit, they say they are the oppressed ones and that now they're being persecuted. No, you're just So, up there that equality feels like Like oppression, (laughs) like an injustice to you, right? Yeah, like taking away your extra unearned advantages. Now, you think that's a punishment? No, what that's the necessary consequence of equality Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. lifting up some people does mean that the people who benefited from their subjection now don't get to benefit. This is exactly what Mary was saying. And I have to name that she was a poor, marginalized woman of color.
0: Mm-hmm. And also living in the midst, uh, middle of a Roman occupation yes. that her grandparents mm-hmm. knew. So, yeah. you know, like, this is not, she's not speaking from the cheap seats about this kind of oppressive stuff. Like, she knows what she's living into. She knows what oppression is.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Like, half Scripture is about tearing down oppressors. Like, oh, man, I better stop talking about the Scriptures or else we're going to be here forever.
0: (laughs) It's all good. Let's actually bring this back real quick to uh, Ether Chapter 2 again because something we were talking about in the last 10 or 15 minutes made me think about it, uh, particularly about this notion of being comfortable and how that might affect our spiritual stature. So in Ether Chapter 2, we learn that the Lord chastened the the, the brother of Jared for not praying to him. And he chastened him for like three hours. First of all, the brother of Jared has already been established as a 100% that spiritually fortified dude. You know what I'm saying? Like he is the guy. That he had to endure a three hour chastening from the Lord just because he forgot to pray seems pretty excessive in my opinion. However, it seems highly unlikely that a man with the uh, stature of the brother of Jared one who had received all kinds of manifestations and previously exercised great faith in the Lord, it seems really unlikely that he would suddenly cease praying to his maker. There's this quote by a scholar that I found, and I really liked it. But it said, it may be that this verse is saying to us, is that the brother of Jared was chastened by the Lord because he had not fully followed and implemented the counsels of the Lord previously received. It may be that he had allowed his prayers to become less fervent, more casual and more routine. He may have been calling upon the Lord in word but not in faith and indeed, close quote. We're recording at about 2:30 p.m. on a Saturday. This is about two hours after the election has been called. Right now, there's a lot of people that are breathing a huge sigh of relief that Biden just won the presidency and, like the brother of Jared and his family, might start getting content to, quote, dwell in tents upon the seashore for the space of four years. I think one of the worst things we can do over the course of the next four years is get complacent with a new president to the point where we think we've done all we need to do to solve our predicament or that the worst of it's over. Folks on the margins know this isn't the end. We've just realized how close this race could have been, and we basically had to throw all of our chips onto the mediocre white dude that is Joe Biden. No disrespect, but I'm just saying, this is Doug Jones all over again to me. We had to literally rally just so that we could get a mediocre white dude to beat a pedophile. That's what this is to me. And I'm just like, the worst of this is still yet to come. Yeah. I mean, Biden's not perfect.
1: No, and he's not. He's far from perfect. But I think the difference, like a fundamental difference between Biden and Trump is you can negotiate with Biden. You can't negotiate with Trump. You can hold Biden accountable. You can't hold Trump accountable. I, th- I don't think at all Biden is the messiah. Nope.
0: But we could work with him. I hope so.
1: I hope, right? Or at least
0: my whole we can work thing with him is, better than we can work with Trump. Black women basically got Biden the presidency. And if he fails to listen to them, he will not hear the end of it. In fact, I can predict as early as tonight, we are already going to start dragging Biden for the BS that he's done. Now that he's won, we can pretty much say whatever we want about him, I guess. But my whole point in bringing that up is that mm-hmm. I don't feel like... The brother of jared's primary sin was simply forgetting to pray i feel like the brother of jared and those he was with just got a little complacent just because they had made it to the shore and perhaps a the reason they were on that shore for a whole four years is because they weren't as diligent in their practice of their faith as they should have been they weren't as diligent in praying they weren't in, as diligent in performing whatever ordinances they needed to be doing they weren't as diligent in following the words that they had received to that point point. and i feel like that's us right now just because Biden won doesn't mean that we can be less diligent about our anti-racism. It doesn't mean we can be less diligent about our affirmation of LGBTQ folks. We're probably going to have to work harder than we did before. Mm-hmm. And I just want to name that uh, just because we've made it to the shore doesn't give us the right to just chill for four years and pitch our tents. We got work to do. And I feel like in that regard, the Lord's chastening of the brother of Jared was very much justified. Yeah. And that's that's the um, that's applies
1: absolutely the same in the church just because Oakes said that black lives matter that's not we're not done that's pooping on the windshield instead yeah, of in the car
0: it is <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just had to bring that back <laughs>
1: yeah um, Tony Evans do you know Tony Evans no. he's a famous uh, black preacher in, in Texas and I heard him preach earlier this week and he told the story about a bird that procrastinated flying south for the winter and was was here up in the north Too, and it was cold and the bird's wings got frozen and the bird couldn't fly and then was on the ground. So I had a major problem of frozen bird wings. And then a cow came along and pooped on the bird. And then that's the second problem. But the warmth of the poop <laughs> melted. the, And it, it was just this whole interesting thing about some of the bad things that happened to you might actually be not the worst thing that happened. But it was a really cool story. And I, I forgot exactly where he went with it. <laughs> I think where he went with it was like some of the people who you think are your aren't your friend actually are, and some of the people who uh, who try to help you get out of the manure actually aren't your friend because what happened is a cat came along and got the bird out of the manure and then ate the bird. Uh, oh, <laughs> so Jeez. It's like multiple tragedies. But yeah, uh, the work isn't done, and a lot of people say like when you when LGBTs get full equality in the church. Are you going to be done? I'm like, no, that's just, the, to me, that's the starting line. Mm-hmm. That is the starting line. After we have ceiling of queer people in the temple, after we have queer people in leadership, after we have queer people all over and fully included in the church, that's the starting line. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be so much work to do. I think this is the same thing. People think that 1978 was the finish line. And in one sense, it's the starting line of... The story of black folks in the church. Correct. At least the start of this chapter. Right. There's more work to do. Like, we have not arrived on any of these issues. Mm-hmm. And I think a similar thing is true with women in the church. Yep. Like, there's going to be more. Half anyway. our talent. That is half our talent. And it, the the interesting thing is there's been micro changes. Not enough, but there's there's momentum and there's ways of working within the tradition and ways of looking at what our leaders, both men and women, have said on these things. And there's a great potential for feminism in our church. Like look at what we say about Eve, look at what we say about Heavenly Mother. Not to say that it's all perfect, but we've got some seeds there that we need to water and see what happens.
0: Mm-hmm, that's all I got for the Come Follow Me. That's all I've got. Cool. Then uh, let us move on to some housekeeping items real quick before we do that. I want to remind you guys that Dialogue, A Journal of Mormon Thought, is proud to offer two new podcast features. The first is Dialogue Heritage, which traces the history of the journal over the last 50-plus years to situate it in LDS history more generally. The second is Dialogue Book Report, which has discussion, reviews, and interviews about LDS, about current LDS fiction, nonfiction, and memoirs, so you can stay up to date on the latest releases. Listen to these new shows and the Dialogue lecture series by subscribing on iTunes or at DialogueJournal.com slash podcast network. That's DialogueJournal.com slash podcast network. Derek, where can people find us? You can find us at BeyondTheBlockPodcast.com. Also on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Also, in an effort to sustain the work of the show and also improve it in various ways to further the mission of Beyond the Block to make Mormonism more accessible to everyone, We launched our Glow page a few months back where if you're willing and able, you can throw some coins our way in the form of a monthly contribution or a one-time contribution. Those who contribute anything at all get access to the benefits of being in collaboration with us, including access to our collaborator Facebook group where you can interact with us more directly, provide feedback and ideas for the show, uh, including who you'd like us to see. Uh, interview on the show, or what kind of topics you want us to focus on for bonus episodes. You can also access our notes and do so much more. If you don't got any coins to throw at us, you can always just share our glow page on your socials, and then you can still join our collaborator community. So uh, there's that. Want to welcome, welcome the new collaborators. Uh, Scott Jones Jana Bonfield Victoria Gomez Kylie Stewart and Aaron Olds from this past few days thank you guys all for joining us uh, start participating as soon as you'd like in the collaborator group there's a few more of y'all I couldn't track down because you either haven't joined our Facebook collaborator group yet or your identity wasn't immediately discernible by your email address so know that we thank you as well though we'd like to do so on a more personal level so please make y'all selves known finally we want to thank our friends Tamara Kemsley for editing the show David Doyle for creating our transcripts, and also Eden Wynn for managing our social media. All y'all are rock stars. Thank y'all so much. Anything else, Derek? Nope, that's it. Very good. Then till we meet again next week.
1: Yeah, see you all next week. Stay home and stay homo.